This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. If there's a lot to get to this week, both football-related and not football-related. It's been a heck of a week for everybody involved, and we'll get into it right now. But let's not waste any more time and get right into this week's proceedings. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. Matt, how's everything going right now, man? Going pretty well, man. How about yourself? Well, uh, I'm doing well. I, I know you throughout the winter storms that everybody listening to this, I'm sure, has dealt with. Uh, how long, what was the total hour count that you were officially without, basically without utilities? Yeah, it seems like at least a good 48 hours. Went out at about uh, 1, 2 a.m., I guess, late Sunday night, like 2 a.m. Sunday night to Monday morning, and then came back on at some point wednesday so it was that after the 48 hours but the second the power went out then you get the power back but the water is totally gone so it was sort of trading one off for the other so do you do you have uh, right now as we speak have all utilities functioning at your house and any damage i mean how how is everything at casa de butler right now casa de butler is bueno uh there it was a boil notice had been boiling drinking water and coffee water but late last night or yesterday afternoon saw it looks like it's good almost across the austin area the reservoir is back full so hopefully nobody's needing to boil the water still but other than that everything's about back to normal well, that is good to know. And, uh, and, and the third member of our team, he uh, he had a hell of a week himself. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UTL American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL crew with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, uh, I know your vehicle was a, was a casualty of the winter storms, but other other than needing to visit the body shop, uh, how is everything in your neck of the woods? Uh, man, we're one of the lucky ones. Uh, we are, we're blessed. We had no damage here at the crib in terms of, pipes bursting or anything like that we did we turned off we had a actually a very kind neighbor 
turn off our water for us when we had already abandoned the the house, the useless <laughs> nice. shell with no electricity and no water. Yeah, yeah we uh, were camping from home, literally. Pretty much. I'm glad I watched a lot of Naked and Afraid because uh, it did prepare me for some of these bizarre times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we left and went to her family's place, had a neighbor, a very kind neighbor, turn off our water uh, as, just as a precaution. And, um, you know, we were good over there. Of course, a tree fell on uh, the car, which a lot of people have had trees fall. We came back to our house and there were people who had trees that were split. I mean, I'm talking about huge trees that it had to have been there for i don't know 40 50 years i don't know how long i mean they were <laughs> huge split down the middle like they literally i mean they i don't know exactly what happened but they must froze to death and then too much weight on one side of the tree and they couldn't bear it crazy uh but anyway so the car is okay it's fine and uh, we went to her family's place they were very kind to us had to break our covid protocol hadn't done that in a year but uh, yeah, dire constant, dire circumstances. So uh, you know, we were desperate, so we broke some COVID protocol. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people had to do that because uh, you had no choice. Um, and we were lucky. Came back to the house, like I said, no damage, and we got a chance to know some of our neighbors. Took the took the time to go talk to our neighbors. I'd been here at three years, and actually. Didn't know all my neighbors, or at least didn't know them well enough to be able to contact them in an emergency. And I think at one point we all dealing with the freeze and the blizzard either felt helpless uh wanted to help someone else or we needed help ourselves and uh, i think if we had had better contact and communication with our neighbors we'd have been able to facilitate some of those things work through some of that emotional baggage we all were dealing with so i took the time to get to know the neighbors went across got some neighbors numbers talked to them about their experiences make sure they were okay uh tried to help out a couple of neighbors and uh, yeah, it's one of the lessons that I think we're going to learn from this. We got to take care of each other. We all we got. So very encouraging to see all of the uh, the kind hearted charity and um, all of the, you know, the, the efforts to help out each other locally after the blizzard. So that's been very encouraging. So I, I'm really happy that, like I said, I, I, I'm a Texan and I chose Austin as a home for a reason because you've seen the best version of this city come out after emergency situations like that. So, uh, And I know all of Texas was dealing with that, and I know Texans have that kind of spirit everywhere. I'm just talking about what I've seen here. Uh, so, um, yeah, hope everybody's okay. Thoughts and prayers with those who, who you know, either had to deal with true emergencies, life-threatening emergencies. I think for us, uh, thankfully, it wasn't life-threatening, but I know there were so many people where it did get to that point. So I uh, hope they survived. And if, um, you know, people are still dealing with hardships, just stick in there, stick stick in there and keep your head up. Um, you know, better times are coming, I guarantee you. Very well said, Rod. Yeah, it's uh, it was a heck of a week at my house. And I agree with you on the neighbors, man. I, I know uh, one of my neighbors really well. We've had some... some uh, uh, let's just get to use a football term that we like using. Let's say we've had some attrition in the neighborhood. So, <laughs> so, uh, getting to know a couple of my other neighbors, but, uh, you know, my wife and I had to do that. One of our neighbors, they left in a, in a hurry, forgot to close their garage door. So I had to go close the garage door for him. And thankfully nice. uh, my neighbor, Mike, who's been in the house for a while. I know Mike doesn't listen to, to the show, but shout out to him anyway. Uh, thankfully he loaded up on the one thing I forgot to get before all this hit. Literally the only thing I forgot was firewood. Didn't think to get firewood, but he had just mm. loaded up. And so he said, yeah, he said, just go fill your garbage can and take what you need. So uh, thanks to him, uh, I bur so burned some firewood, uh, burned some old Texas game notes and some 
uh, Tom Herman quote sheets to to keep me warm. <laughs> I I kid you not. I think I texted you guys a, a picture of that. Uh, I wouldn't. I tried to try to keep it light, saying staying warm is hard. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so. So, uh, you know, just, just, just a little football humor while we're all dealing with some stuff, but no, it's a, so obviously we couldn't record a show last week. Man, the main reason why is because not only did Rod go for a long time without power, Matt went for a long time without power. My power was hit and miss until probably about late Wednesday, early Thursday. Uh, but this normal studio that we record out of not only did it lose power, but it is inoperable right now. So Matt is going to do his best to make sure the audio quality on the show uh, is as good as it possibly can be. So uh, we ask our loyal listeners, and our listeners are loyal. There are some folks that have been with us for and almost the, the dang 10 years we've been doing this podcast. Uh, you know, Thank you guys for listening, for showing your support. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. Uh, we thank all of you for listening. Uh, we appreciate your patience. And at some point, the Blitz will be back to what everybody has uh, known it to be for many, many years now. Yep. Guys, I forget kind of where we left off because a lot's happened since we last had a show. But I, it's in this vein, Rod, and I'll start with you on this. You know, Steve Sarkeesian has been doing kind of the media car wash, if you will, all the different radio shows in the major markets in the state of Texas. He's done both the two major stations in Dallas, and he's done radio in Houston. He's done ESPN. He's done Colin Cowherd, and he just made all the rounds. And he said a few different things uh, that really caught my eye, but to, to kind of tie all of his media opportunities together. And now the kind of those media opportunities have ceased. Now that Texas is full bore into, into winter conditioning and getting ready for spring football, which as we sit here and record this show today, guys, we are one month to the date, February nice. 23rd to March 23rd away from the start of spring practice. So we can officially start the countdown to spring practice. But, Rod, going back to something he said in the signing day press conference and something he said on the interview he did with 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, there's two things that he said that just really drove home to me how much he gets it and how much of it. You know, you always want to hear anytime there's a coaching change, and unfortunately we've had our share of experiences with them uh, in the time we've done this podcast. Can you guys believe in the time we've done this show, we're on our third head coach? No way I would have believed that when we started doing this podcast back in 2012. But here we are. And you always want to hear the new guy say things different and approach things differently than the previous guy did. So take, take read into it what you will. But, Rod, two big things I heard from Steve Sarkeesian. One, he did say in his signing day press conference that he did watch film from the 2020 season. He has watched this team on tape, and he has evaluated this team on tape, not just game tape. But watching practice tape as well, that was one thing that stood out to me. And the second thing, Rod, and you talked about this. I thought you were the person I was thinking of, Rod, when I heard Steve Sarkeesian talk about this. He was on with uh, he was on with the guys on uh, G Bag Nation on 105 through the fan in Dallas, and yep. Brian Broadus asked him, "Hey, he's like, you know, Brian Broadus was in Green Bay when John Gruden and Andy Reid were both there. He's like, I know both of those guys." You know, they're, they're film rats. They like going in, and, and they'll watch a lot of film and steal plays. He asked Steve Sarkeesian, he said, do you steal plays? And he said, yeah. And basically, essentially, Steve Sarkeesian said, yeah, he does. That's one of his big offseason projects is to go through a lot of film and see if there's anything that he can take and put his own spin on within the framework of his offense. And, Rod, 
music to your ears, I'm sure. He said he's planning on having that army of analysts that he's building. That's going to be one specific team. That's going to be part of their job is to pour through film throughout the season and bring stuff to the offensive staff and saying, hey, I think we can use this. So, A, evaluating your personnel that you're inheriting, and B, being willing and knowing that you need to constantly evolve your offense. Maybe the two things that we harp when you boil it down to simplest form, maybe the two things we harped on Tom Herman for more than anything else, Steve Sarkeesian right off the bat says he's planning on doing both of those. Yeah, and and I yeah I remember Tom Herman when he got here saying he wasn't going to watch the 2016 film, <laughs> and hmm. it, it seemed strange at the time. I think we accepted it because all right, you know what? He's the new guy. He's got his own spin on things. Uh, maybe this is his way of giving everybody a, a clean slate, having no preconceived notions about players. Uh, but looking back now in retrospect, um, his inability to self scout. Uh, I may just go back to him being, yeah, I'm going to say that's lazy, but definitely being ignorant. Uh, just not, yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't want to watch? The more film you have, that's the more information you have. The more information you have, the better informed you are. The better informed you are, uh, there are better odds that, uh, that you're going to make a the right decision instead of the wrong one, more oftentimes than not, leading to success. You get me? It's a, it, that's I mean, one thing links to another. So I, I, one thing we always criticize about Tom Harmon was he was a bad self-scouter. It's like, man, he's bad at self-scouting. He's bad at identifying what is a chronic issue with his team and then figuring out a way to constructively, creatively come up with solutions to solve that problem, to remedy that issue. He never really, we, we never saw that, right? We, uh, the offensive line, twists and stunts, continue to be an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the cornerbacks playing the playing the deep ball with Tom Herman's team, that, that seemed to be an issue. Tackling seemed to be an issue. These things, some of these things were chronic. I'm sure we could go down a list and name a lot of them, but they were chronic issues that existed, you know, all throughout his tenure and ultimately, you know, were part of the downfall of his tenure. And I think to me, that was, you know, I always thought that's just him not being able to either identify it or not being able to come up with the solutions, but maybe it's the fact that he was unwilling to look at them. Well, the fact that you don't want to watch that 216, that 2016 film, uh, that's less data you have to make a to find mm-hmm. out what players are good at. And that, the thing about Suck, he's watching practice film and he's watching drills. Yeah, I want to know who's leading the drills. You know, who's the guys that, who mm-hmm. is leading the drills? Who who's doing the drills right day after day? Who's actually translating that drill to the uh, to team and to one on ones and then to the game? Right. I want to know who practices with intensity. I want to know who considers himself a leader. And so they want to lead the drills. I want to see who's who's bad at, you know, who's bad at tackling it, it, on, on, in the film or at least in, in the games. And I want to see who's good at, you know, coverage in the games and who's bad at it in practice and who's good at it in practice. And if it doesn't translate, why doesn't it translate? All those things. And Tom Herman neglected to do that. It was just crazy. I mean, it's basically coaching malpractice. In a sense, setting himself up for failure. So I'm glad Sark is all about gathering as much information as possible. That's all you want to do. You want to get as much information as possible so you can be as informed as possible. And then you can make what is the best decision for that situation. And it's not going to always be the right decision because you ain't perfect. You ain't Jesus Christ. All right. You're not going to always make the right decision. But the better and more informed you are, there's a better chance you'll make the right decision more often times than not. And that's what Tom Herman did not do. And I don't understand why I didn't do it. About the stealing plays, I, you know, I always say STP. 
right? Steal that play. You guys hear me say it all the time. You see mm-hmm. a play that's really cool, steal that play. Guys in the NFL still play so much. They, it's almost a sign of respect, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a street cred. I mean, they, they do it. They're so savvy about it. My man Shanahan will steal a play when he plays Sean Payton of the Saints, and he'll run the play against them, and then Sean Payton and him will have a little nod sideline to sideline like, okay, I got you. I got you. You know what I mean? It is. It, it, now, now, it used to be more clandestine. Everybody was trying to hide it. Now, teams have research and development departments, right? They're basically rip-off yeah. and duplicate departments. They're R&D. All right, so they're watching plays. Who Give me the top five coordinators in college. Give me the top five in the NFL. I want you to watch them week after week. But also, who are the up-and-comers? Go find that. Go find the really creative mind at the lower levels of college football. When Lincoln Riley was at East Carolina, go find me that guy. Go find the guy with the with the bison, uh, with the buffaloes right now. Hey, go, go see if he's a, a really good coach. And go steal some of those plays. I mean, that's what football is all about to me. I think that's always been the case. And the fact that Tom Herman never did that and that wasn't a priority for him was crazy, even though he had all of those analysts. So, you know, Sark's going to do that. He's already admitted to it. I'm glad he doesn't have shame in it because I wouldn't have shame in it either. I'd steal concepts, steal plays from every damn body. That's what I would do. And I'd probably have the coolest damn playbook out there because I'm stealing plays from all the coolest, uh, the coolest and most creative, imaginative offensive coordinators. So those two things I love about Sark just shows you he's not a prideful, arrogant man. Hubris was too much a part of Tom Herman's football mm-hmm. character, and it often uh, hindered him from growth and I think ultimately led to his downfall here at Texas. Yeah, and talking about the plays, you know, I mean, it's not like it's proprietary. These things are all conceptual, and it, I don't even think coaches, modern coaches, view it as stealing plays. It's like, oh, that concept works. It can work well with these players this way, and it may be just a new way into a portal that you haven't exactly explored. So at this level, like, if you aren't even doing that, it just means you're closed to new ideas, which isn't how you want to go, and that sort of brings back full circle to the 2016 offseason like you're talking about and talking about not going back and watching that film, and it it, it almost should have been a precursor to us about the uh, lack of attention to detail only because in that situation like you were saying you want to get as much data as possible and if you're looking back at your players like it's like no we aren't looking back at 2016 for film we aren't looking back at seeing what plays work because we're going to try to run those plays here whatever in what position this guy in it's all the behavioral characteristics the strengths the weaknesses being able to pick up on little things or it is like see how a guy gets motivated just any way that you could have gained some type Type of knowledge instead of viewing it strictly as oh well that's worthless film there's no reason it's like well yeah 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 we agree with you maybe on that you aren't going to be running charlie strong's offense yeah yeah we know that but you don't want to know about your new running back and what he does if you have 500 cutups of him over the past calendar year i mean isn't that what you do with recruiting and every high school player and everything along those lines so that's just sort of bizarre or the lack of detail or just the dismissive nature of stuff that's outside of the Tom Herman football complex that you were going to begin to build. Yeah, you know, Rod, I think you hit it on the head. And, you know, when we heard Tom Herman say that, you know, in 20, when he took the job Thanksgiving weekend of 2016 and then going into 17 before his first year, when he said he didn't watch film, I, I kind of took it as coach because I'm like, okay, surely he watched film. Like, he's just saying that to present this image and it's changing of the culture, blah, blah, blah. But as you mentioned, Rod, there's enough data throughout his tenure, specifically in that first year, to say, I, I, I 
I'm not sure that he did watch film because the personnel <laughs> decisions that we talked about there, like that first year, like why is LJ Humphrey not playing more when we can clearly see he's one of the more effective receivers you have? Why is Colin Johnson not playing more? Ugh. Why, you know, Chris Warren clearly looks like your best running back. Why are you not using him more? So, uh, again, all the personnel decisions we talk about starting in year one and ending in year four with why is B. John Robinson not getting more snaps? Rod, yeah. that 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 in and of itself, if you can just go back to if you just take the issue of self scouting and knowing your personnel, having a better feel for your personnel, just those two things, Tom Herman might still be the head coach of Texas. Yep, totally agree. And I, I, I thought he would use those analysts. Remember, I, my whole uh, thought, I, my, at least my thought, my thought process behind the analysts was, okay, I'm going to get those guys to troubleshoot my team. So mm-hmm. I want y'all to come in here, and I want you to build game plans against my team, uh, basically trying to exploit our weaknesses, right, and trying to diminish our strengths. And you can do that on a week-to-week basis. Oh, I thought that's the off-season. That's where the big time you get into self-scouting, right? It's the off-season because you got time. That's when Sark's like, no, no, I'm still in plays in the off-season. You know, in the off-season, that's when, you know, uh, Sean Payton runs his his research and development department. He's actually the guy in there watching film. That's when Shanahan dives deep back into the dark room for, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 12 hours when he's got time to sit in there and actually come up with these really creative uh, solutions to whether and, and usually it's about your own team, right? It's about no, no. What, yeah. what, what? How do we grow? What, what, what are the things that we need to do to improve? And you never really saw that with Tom Herman. I thought the whole, and maybe that's because you know sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You need another set of eyes. You need another perspective. You do. We all get tunnel vision. We can't help mm-hmm. it. We all end up in our bubble. It's, 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 it's natural. But what you do is you hire other people whose strengths are your weaknesses. The whole point of that Tom Herman offseason when he hired all these new coaches, the point was he was going to have this true self, uh, self-reflection, self right? I'm talking about honest introspection to figure out what is holding you back as a coach. What are you good at and what are you bad at? Admit something like, you know what, man, I'm bad at this. I'm just – I'm not really good at it, whether it be – you know, evaluation, whether it be development on one end, maybe it's play calling. Every coach has to learn that so you can take a step back and then hire somebody who can who can be your strength when you are that weakness, right, as a part of your team. And Tom Herman never really did it. I think maybe he got to that toward the later, the latter end of his time here at Texas, but there was never that true self reflection. I thought he was going to bring in those analysts and they were going to be the ones to help him see what the chronic issues were with his team, the systemic issues with his team, and then help him address those issues. And that never happened. Either. I don't know what the hell he was doing with his analysts. Usually they should have been either research and development, <laughs> or they should have been, you know what I mean? They should have been research and development, or they should have been helping you troubleshoot your own issues, right? Helping you with self-scouting. And I don't think he brought him in for either one of that. Yeah, I mean, that's what Sark was doing in 2016. And that same time, that's how he got back in. It's how a lot of coaches, you can get some of the best minds in all of sports as guys to come in and be your analyst to help you do that. And, I mean, I remember us at the time talking about, well, that looks like Texas may be going down that route because Saban had like done godly amount of analysts at Alabama. But it was like, okay, well, we never got an exact uh, you know, description or discussion about, although, oh, yeah, we hired a couple analysts, and that was about all it was ever left at. And, Rod, like Tom Herman, the thing was like he hired – 
good analysts, like yes, coaches that have been around the game a long time. Larry Fedora, Andre Coleman, Dave Huxtable, Everett Withers. Like he had smart football people in those roles. But now, you know, when now that the curtain has really just gotten not just peeled back, that damn thing's been ripped off from Tom Herman's tenure. And we we figure out things like how just heavy handed he was just dealing with the wide receivers, whether it was recruiting or you know personnel. Now it's like, well, that's that to me is just the one thing that I don't like what head coaches do. There there is a difference between overseeing your organization as a leader and micromanaging. And mm-hmm. micromanagers get to a point. I don't care what field you're in, what level of business you're in, right? We, we've the three of us have all had bosses that do this and the best bosses I think the three of us have had don't do this. When bosses get down to micromanaging your personnel, eventually your personnel is going to look around and say, well, what the hell did you hire me for? Yeah. If you're just going to no. sit here and just pick up, just, just basically do my job for me. Why am I even here? Exactly. So that to me, like, and then Steve Sarkeesian, and when you talk about hiring a guy who's different from the guy you just fired or just moved on from, or just left, what have you, that to me is where Steve Sarkeesian strikes me as a guy that's vastly different from Tom Herman. Just in talking to guys that have been around him, uh, just understanding his personality, he just seems like he's not the kind of guy that's going to micromanage. He's going to take more of the approach of, hey, I brought you here for a reason. We're compensating you this amount for a reason. Go do your job. Go do the job you were hired to do to the best of your ability. Yeah, no, and I, you know, Sark's going to be, he's going to be hands-on. Don't want to micromanage. Hand, you know, it's different, right? Hands-on is good. Micromanaging is bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so right. it's, you know, and I think Sark's going to be hands-on, but yeah, you don't want to be that guy that's, and I think, you know, going back to Tom Herman, I bring him up a, a little too much, I guess, but yeah, I mean, he is, he was a micromanager, we know now in retrospect, especially at wide receiver, probably he's because the position he played, so he's got some special connection to the position and the way he, you know, envisions that position, whatever. But there's no doubt about it. Sark's going to be hands-on because he's a play caller. Um, I do think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to want to be involved um, in the teaching of the technique, and especially the way he uses his, you know, wide receivers and the way he uses his running backs. I think he's going to want to be involved in teaching the concepts and making sure they're taught. And think about Early on, I mean, I know that, yeah, he likes all these coaches he hired, and I think he did hire a good staff, but they still – he's got a coach to coaches early on a right. little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. right? He, these guys don't really know exactly all of the details and the subtle nuances of the Steve Sarkeesian offense just yet. I'm sure Kyle Flood's going to help them out with that. But, hell, you know, I mean, like even Kyle Flood and Sark are still knowing, getting to know each other. They've been, been together, what, four years now? This is their fourth mm-hmm. year together, I believe. So, yeah. you know, I, I, so I think there will be a, a process where Sark, like I said, is, he is very engaged with specific positions. But I agree with you. You don't get to the point where you micromanage because then you're disrespecting the coaches that you hired because you did hire them to do a job. And you do want them to feel like they are integral and you want them to feel like they have, a, you know, that responsibility to develop that talent. But. Sark's got to, yeah, he's got to have these, all these parts clicking at once and it's a brand new offense and he's the play caller. We don't have the mystery of who's the play caller, who's calling (laughs) the plays and who's organizing the offense. No, we know Kyle Flood is the offensive coordinator. Sark's going to call the damn plays. But I do think with him being that guy, he's going to want to make sure the coaches understand how he wants the concepts to be taught. 
You know, to your point, Rod, though, we, we do talk a lot about Tom Herman, but if people go back and listen to our podcast, like when Tom got hired, we, we talked about Charlie a lot because that's kind of that's what true. you do in that first offseason. But I think it, it's a good thing to talk about because I think Texas fans, when we talk about the difference between being hands-on and micromanaging, like Texas fans now should have a good idea of what that happy medium is based on what you've seen in the last 10 years. Like, I think Mac got like when Mac was at his best Rod, and, and you, you know, this cause you were, when you played for him, Rod, Mac wasn't at his best. I don't, I don't think like he was still, he, he was you know, guilty of micromanaging some things at times, but when they really hit that stride, like late into Oh three and Oh four, and then on through, through Oh nine, when he trusted Greg Davis, when he trusted Will Muschamp or Gene Chizik yep. or who was running the defense, when Mac trusted his coaches and trusted that he had players on that team that could be, that he could trust it to be a player-led team, that's when this program was at its best. And that when it started to get away from Mac, he became, I think, so tunnel-visioned on trying to save his job that a lot of other stuff slid. Likewise, when we talk about Tom Herman micromanaging things. Think about what we said with Charlie Strong, guys. We accused Charlie of, hey, you need to be a little more hands-on. You need to be a little more involved because it seems like you're just kicking back thinking you've got all this time to just let things come together. And the the, the grains of sand are, are going to the bottom of that hourglass pretty quick. And I think by the time Charlie realized that, it was too late. So I think Texas fans now through through this this weird period this program has been in, they can kind of gauge where the happy medium is. And you got a really good example of that you know, during that run from 04 to 09 when, when Mac really had it rolling in what, quite honestly, was was one of the true golden eras. And, and Rod, really that started with you guys in 01, that run of nine straight 10-win seasons. Uh, but really from 04 to 09 when it was really rolling, that's when you saw how to really be the CEO of a football program and trust the guys that you hired to go do the jobs you hired them to do. Yeah. And like you said, you, you want to be able to tweak your coaching staff. And I'm sure, you know, Sark's got great coaches, but whether it be a guy lead to go take a job or whether you got to upgrade at a certain position because it's of need, you know, Mac did some tweaking uh, those first couple years, right? The, you know, coach, coach Withers left, so he ended up upgrading with Coach Akina. And he tweaked some things on the offensive line there with the offensive line coaches. So, I, I you know, and it, I, so I think once he was done tweaking that staff uh, perfectly to he kind of fine-tuned it to his football culture, the one that he envisioned when he first got here to Texas, I think that's when his his the trust factor allowed Mac to be the true CEO because he knew – I hired all the right guys. Maybe Sark's already there. I hired all the right guys. Hopefully that is the case. And then you can truly trust your coaches. And then it it, allow, it frees you up to be a better CEO because then you can truly oversee and delegate because you know you got the right people. All you got to do is give them the task. They'll complete the task. And as long as you're delegating the right way, they, you got guys that are problem solvers. You got coaches that are great at uh, developing talent and at actually being able to adjust um, schemes and concepts, and if you get to that point, then yeah, Max. My, all Max got to do is notice what's wrong. Oh, oh, well, oh man, you know what? We got to make sure we're picking up twists and stunts, guys. Oh, uh, yep. make sure we <laughs> reminders. Oh, guys. Yeah, we got to make sure we get more pressure on the quarterback. Okay, get more pressure on the quarterback. You know, man. Then it's relayed down the line. Boom, problems <laughs> ends up solved. When there's a disconnect, when there's something something lacking, when there's a 
uh, you know, uh, uh, something lost in translation, like oftentimes happened with Tom Herman, either because the coach couldn't get it done or because Tom Herman didn't notice it. You never had that relaying of the information to solve that problem. What do I say about coaches? They're just problem solvers, man. They're just solving problems. That's it. That's it. On everyday basis, you just get up, you start solving problems. You never know what, how the problem is, what it's going to exist. But if you are just a great problem solver and you make the right decision more oftentimes than not, then, you know, you're going to be a damn good football coach. But if you don't have the information, like Tom Herman often did, yeah, man, you're not going to make the right decision. You're going to make the wrong decision because you're just shooting blank at the wall and hoping it sticks. Yep, and whenever you're able to assemble the staff, y'all talked about, you know, the micromanagement and that aspect of, you know, certain issues that you had seen before. And there's a difference between micromanaging and guiding, you know, and being able to just guide your guys in the right direction, but understand that you've hired that staff. And if you do really get too deep into the weeds with everyone, it really can dilute what your actual job is and the ability to see everything as the one above everybody else there. And that's what Mac did so well and understood his strengths, his weaknesses, but also could identify the strengths and weaknesses of others that were with him. And it really formed a group that could work well together. And that's the type of thing that you never know what how that chemistry can come and really combine and what it turns into. But on the front end, if you go into it with the trust level and, you know, we heard the, uh, the talk or discussion of alignment from Herman, but I really don't know if alignment was what you necessarily like that. This is easy to say after the fact but when you talk about alignment it's like oh well are you talking about we all just have to fall in line with what your one vision is because that may be really hard to do because uh, you got 85 different personalities here and you got a, nine different coaches and they aren't going to all be identically aligned with you but if we all are aligned in what we're seeing as well this is my strength this is your strength well this works well together you know that communication then the detail oriented mentality then you could really see how a staff can come together and that's just sort of that chemistry that we always talk about in a locker room and how every locker room is its own little organism well we talk about college football add a whole nother level to it because you have the stats and it's ever changing and you have no continuity so the idea of alignment's really hard to captivate there especially if you're trying to get everybody to fall in line with what your alignment is rod but you know i, I go back to something you said as far as you know micromanaging and just kind of to wrap this topic up you know you've said many times when you played for mac brown you never remember mac drawing up a play like on the whiteboard or, or coming up no. with some great concept like mac's halftime speeches were you know basically for you it was Dwayne akina and carl bull reese giving the instructions and then you go meet with mac and he's got his little I always wondered, like, how big that folded up sheet of paper Mac had right? with him. Like, like how many times <laughs> he would so fold it over throughout a game. Right. Um, it's like it's like an index card, and the thing is like a, like a 15, 16 by 20 sheet of paper that ends up that small. But anyway, I digress. But, no, it was Mac giving you guys, you know, Rod, he'd be like, okay, we're, we're plus two of the turnover, so we're good in the turnovers, kicking game. We need a, you know, yep. fixed field position. It was just kind of those talking points. It wasn't like anything great because he trusted, okay – I know Carl Reese and Dwayne Aquina and, you know, Hardy McCrary and Mike Tollison, and those guys are going to tell those guys what they do. do. Same thing with Greg Davis and whoever it was at the time, right? Tim Nunez and Daryl Drake, whoever the position mm-hmm. coaches were. I trust my guys to do their job. I just need to make yep. sure I'm hitting the, the thing. The thing, Mac's talking points, and Mac was big on turnover margin, kicking game, you know, all, 
red zone, all this stuff, basically giving you guys the, the rundown on the numbers. That's that's kind of when, you know, everybody's got their different way of doing it. Like the the kind of the perfect balance rod to me, and I know everybody starts, but it's like Nick Saban. I think we can say Nick Saban is hands-on. Uh, yep. And I think, would you say Nick Saban micromanages? Maybe, but Nick Saban can get away with it because he wins, he wins, he rolled off national championships and wins a lot of football games. So it works differently for everybody. I think that's the one thing that as Sark settles back into a head coaching role, I think that's the one thing, Rod, he's really, and, and based on the guy we just saw do it at this place, that's the one thing he's really got to figure out and find is what is that balance between I'm managing my personnel, I'm coaching my coaches, I'm being hands-on, but I don't overstep and, and to where you're micromanaging guys. That's that's that that's that fine line, that balance that he's got to find. Ultimately. Yeah, and he he admitted when he uh, got here that at Washington and at USC, at times he would micromanage that he tried to do yeah. too much, um, and that he didn't allow all the time his coaches to coach and have that responsibility. So I think it's just a young coach. I say so it's a thin line, by the way. That thin line between yeah. being hands-on and micromanaging, like there's a thin line between love and hate, the thin line between tax evasion and tax avoidance. One's legal, one's not. <laughs> right? One you go to jail for, one you won't. And I know a lot of people that they're great at tax avoidance, but they're, you know, they're they're, they're you know, they're trying to avoid tax evasion. So I think for a coach, yeah, being hands-on, I think comes with it. Urban Meyer's known for being a really hands-on coach. And you do want a coach mm-hmm. that's, that is hands-on. But, yeah, micromanaging, you kind of cross yeah. over into that line. And Mac was just great at being the overall CEO. I, in terms of Mac with coaches, I think Mac was great at take, at choosing coaches because Mac is great at reading people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I do think Mac was good at kind of seeing through some of the, the BS. So if you're just a great interviewer, I think Mac could, could see through it a little bit. Um, but Mac was, in terms of being a delegator, he was great because, like you said, he had that little piece of paper and he knew, all right, we got to win turnover margin. We got to mm-hmm. win. Uh, we got to get better at field position, special teams. And uh, and we got to tackle. Yeah, we missed three, missed 15 tackles already. Yeah, we in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, he just knew, like, all right, we got to clean up those things. I'm sure he relayed that information to his coaches. But he had great coaches, man. He had great coaches. And I think that's going to help Sark out, too. We all agree Sark's had really good coaches. And for Sark, it, he's, he's already been through a situation where I think he may have – you know, been a micromanaging coach early on, just trying to do way, way too much. Um, and now he realizes, no, if I hire the right guys, uh, I can give them the responsibility of, you know, solving these problems where I can go look at a more macro scale and let those guys solve it. They, <clears throat> they can solve micro and I can go macro. That's what you want from me. Yeah. Hey, Rod, hypothetically, uh, if, if you guys had a bad first half, what would a Dwayne Aquino halftime speech, how would it start? <laughs> guys, we're better than this, guys. We're better than this. You look yourself in the mirror. You worked hard for it. You sacrifice your commit. Don't go out there and put out a subpar product. Think about your family. The name on the back, the name on the freaking front, man. That's what we play for. And play for the pride of Texas, God. That's what it sounds like. Positive oh, reinforcement. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Coach Akina often, he wasn't a, he didn't dog, guys. Coach Ken was not someone that would dog you. He was, it would always be I, kind of, I know you're better than this. Like, you're better than this. Like he, and, and it would it would, it would work. It would almost work instantly because as a player, that's what you, it was almost that positive reinforcement. You know you're playing bad. Nobody's got to tell you you're playing bad. Nine. When you're having a bad game, trust me, you know. You know you're having a bad game. You're having an off game. 
And yes, your coach has got to see, say something about it. He's got to, you know, he's got to come up to you. He's got to make, have that confrontation about, hey, whether you're going to improve, whether you're going to work on the issues that you got going on. Um, coach Akita didn't break down our technique then. That was for film study. And he didn't tell us exactly what we were doing wrong at the time. It was, hey, I know you're better than this, because he knew he had already taught us all that. We already had the tools. We already yeah. had all of the, you know, the concepts down. We had done the film study. The preparation was there. We had a bad game. It was because we, were, we, weren't, we didn't have our crystallized focus, and we weren't ready to play at that time. When I had bad games, it was usually because of something like that. I was mentally, um, you know, I, I wasn't mentally focused. So I think for Coach Akina, he never came in saying, hey, man, you got to do this. You better do this. And he never dogged you. It was always, oh, man, I know you can do this. You're better than that. Um, you know, I, I need you to play to that level that we all expect you to play to. Nice. All right. Well, that's uh, that's as good a place as any to leave this week's show. And uh, starting next week, we'll get into some spring practice preview stuff. We'll, in that vein, we'll take a look back at some things in 2020 but definitely it is a full steam ahead to 2021 and the first spring under steve sarkis and that's going to do it for this week's show uh matt thanks for everything man oh you're more than welcome rod we appreciate the time and the knowledge anytime brother anytime for matt for rod for everybody at the austin radio network and the horn live local and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear rod b on the triple option each and every weekday from 47 same as plug you can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows. It's all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. Search Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that subscribe button and get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.